This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate Scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers. Today we conclude our three-part discussion of Genesis 1, 14 through 19. So far in the two previous studies, we have seen that Moses did not intend to write a scientific explanation of how the sun, moon, and stars came into existence. Instead, he wanted the Hebrew people to understand how Yahweh was better and different than the gods of Cain and Egypt and Babylon. The Hebrew people were familiar with the gods and goddesses of those various religions and Moses was showing. He's writing a polemic against those various religions. Now, uh, in the the previous episode, in part two, we really looked at that that, uh, truth that Moses is writing this polemic. And so today I want to conclude our study of Genesis 1, 14 through 19 by showing you the seven ways, the seven theological truths on how Moses differentiates Yahweh from the deities of these surrounding nations and cultures. It's going to be a great study, so stay tuned. Hey, I do want to read a iTunes review. This one comes from Kev Johnson. Here's what he writes. Certainly not your typical boring Christian lecture. Very engaging and interesting. I recommend everyone check it out as Jeremy brings to light a lot of new perspectives on Scripture. Well, thank you. That's uh, encouraging. I really appreciate it. and I'm, that's, that's my goal. I, I think it's a sin to bore people with Scripture. <laughs> it might be too strong of a word, but we should never. Bible teachers should never bore anyone with the Word of God. I think Howard Hendricks from Dallas Theological Seminary taught me that. This episode of Theology, or sorry, this episode of the One Verse podcast is brought to you by the Theology.fm podcast. It's another podcast of mine. You can go check it out, Theology.fm, or just search for Theology.fm on iTunes. It features podcasters, speakers, Bible teachers, so on, such as Greg Boyd. Wayne Jacobson, Darren Hufford, Brian Zahn, N.T. Wright, and there will be others coming. If you have a favorite Bible teacher, podcaster, something like that, who has uh, sermons or audio or podcasts, and you want to recommend them to be a contributor to the Theology.fm podcast, just uh, go to Theology.fm and uh, submit their name, submit an episode. I think you can do that in the About section. Uh, That would be great, and I'll see about including them in a future episode. With that in mind... Let's move on to part three of Genesis 1, 14 through 19. All right, so this is the third and final part of our look at Genesis 1, 14 through 19. Again, by way of quick review, in part one, we saw that Moses was not writing this scientific explanation for how the sun, moon, and stars came into existence, and so we should not try to read it as such. Uh, When we do, it creates all sorts of scientific and logical problems. Uh, In part two, which was last week, we looked at how Moses was writing a polemic against the religious beliefs and ideas of the Canaanites, the Babylonians, and the Egyptians. 
The Hebrew people and Moses himself would have been aware of all of these religious beliefs. And Moses wanted them to know, the Hebrew people to know, that Yahweh was different. He was more loving. He was more powerful. All around just better uh, than the deities of those other religions. And uh, he's hinting strongly that those deities don't even exist. In today's uh, part, in the final study of uh, Genesis 1, 14 through 19, we're going to conclude by looking at the seven ways, the seven theological truths that Moses wants to present to the Hebrew people and uh, the seven ways that Moses differentiates Yahweh from those other gods. All right, so let's, let's uh, just start with number one. Uh, in the Egyptian creation accounts, the ultimate goal of the creation accounts is to explain and tell the story of the rising of the sun. The appearance of the sun in the Egyptian creation amounts was the pinnacle, the point, the ultimate goal of all creation for the sun to rise. And that's why the Egyptians, they were a very sun-based religious system. Now, uh, the rising of the sun is not the pinnacle or goal of Moses' creation account, the Genesis creation account in, in Genesis 1. We haven't gotten to the pinnacle yet, but the pinnacle of the creation week in Genesis 1 is the creation of mankind on day 6. And the, the theological point then that Moses is presenting to his people is that what is most important in God's creation is not the rising of the sun from the eastern horizon, but rather it is the rising of man from the dust of the ground. Moses is saying that the sun doesn't rule creation. That honor is reserved for you and me. That's the first point. It's a pretty significant one. Completely changes your perspective on your day and your world and why God made things. It's not about the sun. It's about you and me. So second then, uh, the second theological point Moses is making is that uh, God was not created along with the light. Uh, that, that's what happens in the other creation accounts. Like in the Egyptian uh, creation account, the, the deity, Ra'atum, uh, he doesn't come into existence until the light comes into existence. In, in Genesis, though, God exists prior to the light. And in fact, he's the one who calls the light into existence on day one. Let there be light. And in fact, uh, even then, he doesn't even need the sun to allow the light to shine. Uh, the light exists prior to the sun. The sun is not even mentioned until day four. So again, that just shows the power and majesty of God and how God is different and better than these other uh, deities, especially the sun-based deities of the Egyptian religious system. So Gordon Johnston, one of my professors from Dallas Theological Seminary, who wrote a great article on this. It also is linked to in the show notes. You can read it for yourself. Uh, he says that uh, this is a case of the Hebrew author indulging in a bit of one-upmanship. Yahweh is superior to Ra'atum. Egypt's God of light. Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, <clears throat> this theological and polemical understanding of Genesis 1 really helps make sense, and I've hinted at this before, why Moses waits until day 4 to present uh, the sun, moon, and stars. Uh, it, it does sort of create problems scientifically, but if we're not trying to read the text scientifically, then it makes perfect sense. Moses is not making a scientific point. He is making a theological point about how God existed prior to any light and how God didn't even need 
the lights of the sky, the sun, moon, and stars, to give light. Light just is, because God said it, period. That's the end. And then later he brings the sun, moon, and stars. Okay, well, now we'll let the sun, moon, and stars uh, control, guide, be the functionaries of the, the light function. So uh, in the other creation stories of the other surrounding cultures, light's coexistence with the gods, and it existed. Uh, in some of them, it existed from all eternity with the gods. Uh, and sometimes it comes into existence uh, along with the sun, moon, and stars, along with the gods. And it's sort of different depending on which religion's background you are looking at. But not so in Genesis 1. God exists prior to any light, and God creates the light. He doesn't need the sun, moon, and stars to do it. And then later he brings the sun, moon, and stars along. And it's the fourth day uh, rather than the first, and or rather than the point of all creation. So that's the second point. God doesn't need this. God exists prior to it. God is more powerful. God is the one who brings the light into existence. All right, that's the second. Third, then, uh, time. This uh, point about time itself. Uh, Again, it's sort of related to the second point, but instead of the light now, we focus on the time. Time itself exists prior to the sun, moon, and stars. Now, uh, the counting of time, you could almost say, because of this emphasis on the counting of days and seasons and months and weeks and years and so on, that's mentioned here in Genesis 1, 14 through 19. But if you notice in, in the Genesis creation account, the counting of time actually begins before the sun, moon, and stars show up. Uh, and that's what this uh, repeated phrase emphasizes. And it was evening, and it was morning, the first day, and so on. Uh, time existed. The counting of days exists before the sun, moon, and stars come into existence. And that's one of the reasons, I'm convinced, Moses wrote about this. The, the it was evening and it was morning for the first three days before the sun, moon, and stars are there. Again, to show that time comes into existence, the counting of days comes into existence before the sun, moon, and stars. The sun, moon, and stars, they help us count it, but God didn't need it. Uh, that was not the purpose, okay? God uh, created time before the sun, moon, and stars came into existence. Uh, they help us measure and govern the passage of time, but they were not necessary for God to do so. Okay? So uh, that's that's another point of uh, difference, of theological difference. Fourth, then, uh, note that uh, while I have been using the term sun and moon, uh, Moses does not. I don't know if you caught that. In, the, in fact, every, almost every time in the, in the previous two parts, I've been talking about the sun, the moon, and the stars. But if you look carefully at the text of Genesis 1, 14 through 19, Moses never mentions the sun and moon. He, in fact, he blatantly and obvious avoids using the names sun or moon. Instead, he refers to them, look at the text, he refers to them as the greater light and the lesser light. The greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. And why does Moses do that? If you listen to the episode on Genesis 1-9, you might recall that I mentioned there that Moses changed the name of the sea from Yom to Yamim. And the reason I told you then in Genesis 1-9, the reason Moses did this is to differentiate what he was talking about from what the Canaanites uh, were talking about. The Canaanite sea god was named Yom, which means sea. And so Moses didn't want to give any credit or glory or honor or even recognize the existence of the sea god, Yom. So instead of speak of Yom, which is the Hebrew word for sea, he changed it to speak of Yamim, the seas. And basically, in so doing, telling the Hebrew people, Yom doesn't exist. There is no sea god. There's just the seas. 
And if he had talked of the sea, Yom, the Hebrew people would have been confused. Well, Moses, you were just talking about Yom, the sea god. Or, you know, did God create Yom, the sea monster, this, this uh, sea god? And, and Moses would have had to do all that explaining. So he just avoids it all and changes the name from Yom to Yamim when he's referring to that saltwater body, that body of saltwater out there. There is no God out there, Moses is saying, by changing it. God made the seas. All right, well, Moses does the exact same thing here in Genesis 1, 14 through 19. Uh, he, he avoids the name. Now, he can't, he can't use the plural of son because the, there aren't plural sons. There's only one son. And he can't use the plural of moon because <clears throat> there aren't two moons. There's only one. So uh, what he does is he just doesn't even mention sun and moon at all. He, uh, the, the, the names, by the way, are Shemesh for the sun and Yariach for the moon. Uh, by the way, uh, Jericho, uh, that's the, the English pronunciation, but in Hebrew, it would uh, be closer to Yariko, which is uh, very similar to the moon, Yariach. Okay. Uh, the root word for Jericho in Hebrew is moon, the moon. So uh, anyway, it's very, very interesting. When Hebrew people enter into Canaan, the first city that falls is the moon city, the city of the moon, the city that worshiped the moon. The city was founded by the moon. Uh, Anyway, here in Genesis 1, just sort of a fact there, a factoid, fun fun fact. Uh, Here in Genesis 1, Moses doesn't mention Shemesh or Yariach. He is calling them the greater light and the lesser light. So by refusing to name the sun and moon by their proper names, he's doing the same thing he did with Yom. He's calling them greater light, lesser light, and he's just saying, look, there is no sun god. There is no moon god. The sun and the moon, they are not gods at all. They're just lights in the sky. Yeah, one's big and uh, it, it rules the day and one is smaller and it rules the night. It's the greater light, the lesser light. They're not gods. They're just lights. That's all. They were placed there by God, and uh, he gave them the function of giving light. And so by not even naming the sun and moon, Moses is dishonoring them as deities and gives all glory and honor to God alone. He has uh, demoted the sun and moon from their status of divinity and said they're not gods like Yahweh. They're simply part of Yahweh's creation. He existed prior to them. They serve his purposes. He does not serve theirs. So that's the fourth point. That's what a really, really significant point of why Moses doesn't even name the sun and moon. What about the stars, though? Well, this is the fifth point. It's very interesting to note a little statement tacked on at the end of Genesis 1.16. I hinted at this last week in part two. Uh, but uh, the, the stars are barely mentioned at all here. And just get this little mention in Genesis 1.16. It says, uh, and he made the stars also. Uh, It's sort of as an afterthought. Oh, yeah, and the stars. Now, when I was a child, uh, I I distinctly remember reading this verse with amazement. I I was always astounded um, in in the entire text of Genesis 1. uh, he, He spends this entire week, God spends this entire week creating everything carefully for mankind on this single planet. It's just this focus on everything God does on this one planet in one solar system, surrounded, surrounding one star in the entire galaxy. And I thought, man, he does all this in one week. Uh, in, in Genesis 1, 
Uh, and then in 116, we have this thing. Oh, and he made the stars also. And I just think, wow, that is crazy, amazing. I mean, uh, you know, Moses certainly did not know what we know today, that, that the stars are these little pinpricks, you know, from, from, from a human perspective, the stars are just these little pinpricks of light in the night sky. And so that's why Moses said, oh, and he made the stars. But, but uh, you know, I always thought, wow, you know, God, he does this in, in six days, and then then uh, he throws the stars out. And you just think about it. Um, there's all these trillions of stars out there, and each one represents a, a star or another sun somewhere. Many of those stars we now know have their own planets. That's what um, NASA is discovering. And uh, we know that, in fact, some of those stars that we see, they're actually other galaxies, and each one of those galaxies have hundreds of billions of stars on their own, and uh, many of which have their own solar systems and their own planets. So there's these trillions and trillions of, of, of stars and planets out there. And uh, so, I, again, when I was younger, I read this statement in 116, and said, wow, look at the power and the majesty and the glory of God. And this little throwaway statement in Genesis 116 has more creative power and energy in it than the rest of the entire chapter. And, you know, that's true. Uh, but again, um, that is the scientific reading of the text. It's still true. Uh, I'm not saying it's not true, but it's not, I, I, again, it's not what Moses intended. And why do we know that? Because Moses didn't know about other galaxies and solar systems. He didn't know that each one of those pinpricks of light represented another star which potentially had multiple planets surrounding it, or maybe even another galaxy with trillions or I'm sorry, billions, hundreds of billions of stars of its own, okay? Look, I, here's the point. I'm not disagreeing with my younger self. I just understand the text a little bit differently today. Moses didn't know what a solar system or a galaxy was, and so I, I can't, in good faith, with all honesty, understand this little throwaway statement in Genesis 1.16 the way I read it when I was younger. Uh, I was reading the text scientifically, and Moses, though, is making a statement about theology. Moses isn't intending to make a statement here about galaxies and solar systems. Instead, he's making a statement here against the worship of stars. Now, did God make everything that's out there? Of course he did. I'm not arguing that. Of course God made it all. And could God have made it in a blink of an eye? Absolutely, of course. It's without any effort of any kind. God, it's not, it's not, doesn't take more exertion on God to create everything in a blink of an eye than it does for him to spread it out over the space of a week or, you know, however long he needs. He doesn't need any long length of time at all. Anyway, again, that's not the point. It gets into the science of it. The point is the theology. What is Moses saying about the stars? Well, again, you need to remember, we pointed this out last week, in many of the creation myths, the Canaanites, the Egyptians, and the Babylons, the uh, creation of the stars comes before the creation of the sun and the moon. Uh, in those accounts, typically what happens is uh, the stars represent the pantheon of gods, all the gods and goddesses that exist. Typically what happens is one or two of them rise to power and uh, to, to govern the year, and uh, or, or a small, it's three of them maybe. In fact, that was in the Canaanite creation myth that I read to you last week. Three of them governed the year. Uh, and then typically, often what happens is uh, two rise to significant power to become the sun and moon. Um, that, that You can read about that in the fifth tablet of the Numa Elish and uh, some of the Egyptian creation accounts and so on as well. 
but um, Moses reverses all of this. Uh, he, first, it's not the stars that come first. It's the, the, the stars to come last. He, he, God ta- or Moses talks about the sun first, the greater light, and then the moon second, the lesser light. And then he throws in the stars as an afterthought. Oh, yeah, and God made the stars also. Uh, the, the so-called dwelling place of the gods. That's what all the other Egyptian, uh, all the other religions believe. That's where the gods dwelled up there. And those were the houses of the gods. And, and uh, God just throws them in. Moses just throws the stars in as an afterthought in his creation account. And look, it's sort of understandable why the other religions did that. that look, if you've ever looked at a starry night sky, you know, get out of a city with all the pollution and lights and, and get out into the country somewhere and just, stand in awe at the stars. Ancient people used to do that too. They would look upon the stars and, and, you know, some see uh, civilizations and cultures worship stars because of their glory and beauty and majesty. Moses downplays them, simply says, oh, God made the stars also. Uh, The point is this, the stars shouldn't call us to worship them. That's what other religions do. Moses is saying, no, the stars, as as beautiful and glorious and majestic as they are, They don't call us to worship them. They call us to worship God alone. That's that's the fifth point. Sixth, then, uh, the repeated statement in Genesis 1, there was evening and morning, one one day, evening and morning, second day, evening and morning, third day, so on. Uh, It's a clear rebuttal. I've, I've hinted at this already. It's a clear rebuttal of the Egyptian idea that creation happened all in one day. And uh, that creation was reenacted every day. I talked about that in part two. You can go listen to that a little bit more. Um, in Moses' creation account, creation takes six days. And once it is done, it is done. Never to be completed. I'm, I'm sorry, never to be repeated. <laughs> uh, it is complete. Uh, it was uh, six days. It was completed and never to be repeat, repeated. And that is a complete refutation, polemic against the Egyptian idea that creation reoccurred every single day forever and ever. All right. And that's related to the seventh and final point. Again, I mentioned this briefly in part two, but I want to close with this as well again today. In the Egyptian creation account, again, it happens, rehappens every day, and they were afraid every day that there might not be a tomorrow. In the Egyptian creation account, the sun god battled every night with the sea serpent god to see whether or not there would be a dawn. Uh, in the Genesis creation account, there's no such battles uh, for God to struggle every night with the existence of creation. In the Genesis creation account, there, there's nothing and nobody that stands against him. There's nothing that threatens God's creation. There's, there's no question about whether or not the sun will rise tomorrow. There's There's no fear, there's no guessing, there's no hoping, there's no praying that our God will give us another day, right? Uh, Look, in God's creation account, he set the sun, the moon, and stars in their place. They go about their business, counting off days and weeks and months and years without fail. In God's creation, there's no struggle from day to day, you know, there's no ongoing struggle after the creation week is concluded. Look, in the Egyptian mythology, um, the Egyptian mythology is probably why Moses repeats the statement. There was evening and there was morning over and over in the text. Uh, in fact, he even reverses it. Do you, have you noticed that? Have you ever wondered why? If, in fact, if you think about it, evening and morning isn't even a day. It, 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 it does the bookends of the night. 
We have a day, the daytime, and then it's evening, and then it's morning. So this phrase evening and morning don't describe a day. They actually describe the night. And so what Moses is doing here is he's even reversing the Egyptian order of prominence. For the Egyptian, it was morning and evening. That was what significance. Morning, ah, the sun has risen another day. It's evening, oh no, what's going to happen? But Moses reverses this, and he repeats it over and over for his audience who has just come out of Egypt. There was evening and there was morning. There was evening and there was morning. See, there's no, there's no question in between the evening and the morning that there's going to be a morning. If there's an evening, there is a morning. There will be a morning. And that's what Moses is saying. He's saying, don't worry about tomorrow. When there is evening, there will also be a morning. And this would have been super encouraging for any person who had lived under Egyptian religion, the fear every night about whether they would see another day. This is going to be very relieving for them. They would find it it'd be a welcome relief. They didn't have to wonder if there would be a tomorrow. So listen, for you and me tonight, when you lay your head on your pillow, maybe if you're like me tomorrow when you hit your snooze button on your alarm clock, hey, Genesis 1, 14-19 tells you to remember that these things... The passage of time, evening and morning, the day, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and how they measure days and weeks and months and years. God is the one who organized all that, and it's for our benefit. And look, the next time you go out and stand in amazement at the stars, or go to a sunny beach and enjoy the warmth of the sun beating down on your face or on your back, or you sit outside and watch the moon rise, Let these signs in the sky point your thoughts towards God and how He's watching over you, providing for all of your needs. Next time you look at your watch or the time on your iPod, notice the seconds ticking by. Maybe you uh, pull up your calendar and try and figure out what to do tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. Don't get frustrated at the passage of time, let these be reminders for you that God has set all this in motion for your blessing and for your enjoyment. And no matter what, no matter what, never, ever forget, God will never leave you nor forsake you. There is nothing, as Paul says in Romans 8, nothing in the heights of the heavens or the deepest reaches of the universe that can separate you from his love. Hey, I hope as always you found today's study of Genesis 1, 14 through 19 encouraging. If you did, please let me know, leave a comment, redeeminggod.com slash Genesis 1, 14 through 19 P3 for part 3 you can also leave a ratings and review at iTunes I would appreciate that most of all though would you share this podcast with your friends family go to the uh, go to the, the show notes and you can use the share buttons there share it on Twitter Facebook whatever invite other people to listen that way they can be encouraged as well that's going to be the best thing you can do Hey, I really appreciate all of you. Thank you for the feedback you've been sending me. Look forward to next week when we begin to look 
in Genesis 120 at day 5. See you then.